Hey guys, it's the Great Debates. What's up? What's Hi. up? Ah, good to see you, boys. I wish we could be in the room together. Oh man, someday soon, hopefully. So soon. Maybe we should do a debate quarantine event where we like go to a cabin and maybe. I not. would love that. I would also love to do a live event where, like, there's no reason our audience couldn't be on the Zoom. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. That. I tell you what, I'd like to do even more than the, that. Those things. start the debate. Yeah, baby. Get okay, let's get right into <laughs> yeah. it. I've got a top for Healy to take the pro on. I think it's a little juicy for Healy to take a pro on this. Okay, actually. so uh, I love some juice. Uh, are you ready, my friend? Well, you like yep. the juice. Most people have an enemy. I'm Steve Healy. I'm taking the pro. Most people have an enemy. Look, you might think it's not life-affirming to take the side that most people have an enemy, but I'd argue that, look, the word enemy is quite harsh, but life exists in the beautiful, ever-shifting balance, harmony of opposites and pairings, sun and moon, man and woman, land and sea, person and enemy and so most people just without any ill intention (laughs) will acquire an enemy who they want to defeat best it doesn't have to be a fatal um two ninjas who are resolved to behead one another or the highlander or whatever it can just be two people who don't like each other and they may live in a civilized world where that doesn't even get to violence or even slagging each other off they might act as friends in fact i think the most complex enemy relationships often occur in such situations but most people will have an opposite force enemy that they are engaged with in a kind of warfare (laughs) what a vague sprawl of (laughs) opening argument well Healy, as usual is too caught up in the rules rule abiding Healy. uh, here's my case of why this is life affirming it doesn't matter whether it's life affirming or not you didn't actually you tried to argue that having an enemy is life affirming that's not what we're debating or not no one cares whether it's life affirming or not (laughs) most people are just trying to get through the day most people are just trying to pay their bills they're not worrying about someone who they think is out to get them what you described at best is a frenemy a person who's a friend who you also have an antagonistic relationship with that's a frenemy that's not an enemy that's someone who is like uh, someone who's part of your life who annoys you a little bit we all have that but that's not what a true enemy is i think it also like the thing you're describing about like wanting to strive to be better than someone could at most be described as a nemesis but that's different than a true enemy an enemy is someone who has like the opposite intention of you and battles with you most people like healy do you, who's your enemy do you have an enemy if so name him or her i don't believe that you do even and in fact even the uh, even like it, you and i every week we sit down and argue for like an hour and a half i would never call you my enemy and that just illustrates the fact that like people can be have a sort of acrimonious give and take with someone. It doesn't make you an actual enemy. Like superheroes have enemies, politicians have enemies. Like most people are just trying to like not like uh, pay their mortgage or their rent and and not get sick. They don't. They're not hung up on like oh, I've got this enemy at work who's driving me crazy. It's absurd. Okay, Dave. Dave, are you done speaking? Not for good, but for now. Have you had enough time for your, I don't know, what we'd call opening statement? Yeah. 
Hi, what's going on? D- Dave asked me to name my enemy. And the topic is most people have an enemy. I'm one of the lucky few who does not have an enemy. Wow. However, if I had an enemy, and certainly Mm -hmm. in the long time of listening to Dave, several names came to my mind, I would not name that person publicly in a podcast because we are in a battle and I am trying to, at the very least, keep them from harming me, but probably harm them. So there's no way I'm going to tell you who my enemy is. Now, so Dave, you do or you don't have an enemy? I I'm one of the. There's a. There's a. I, I don't have to have an enemy to prove the topic. There's a. There can still be a no, healthy of mino- minority of, of people not. who don't That's have an just enemy. A, of course, that's just anecdotal, but I ask you because, like, in fact, I think you're proving my I'm point. I'm telling you, you I'm that, not like, going to tell you the truth. Said, Healy, no, that's not what you said. You started by saying, I don't have an enemy, but a bunch of people came to mind. Yeah. And, in fact, if you weren't going to tell the truth, you would have, at the beginning of that, you would have just said, of course I have an enemy. In fact, I have a number of enemies, but I'm not no, going to say No, not at all. Maybe, not the, maybe the way that's to harm said. and frighten my enemy is to make them wonder if they're one I, of the names that came to my mind. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm telling the truth. Maybe I don't have I, an enemy. Healy, I know you too well, and I know that you care more about winning the, the debate than you do actually inflicting some sort of danger damage upon your enemy you're not trying to lull your enemy or enemies into some sort of like false sense of security in this debate you're trying to beat me and what you said was i'm one of the lucky few who doesn't have an enemy and a number of names came to mind but they didn't pass muster as a true enemy and i think that's true for a lot of people but i think even more true is that most people would be like enemy i don't have a goddamn enemy i'm just trying like i have a i have two kids who like drive me crazy in the morning and i got a i've got a husband who like you know i gotta deal with his family or whatever it is, but they're not enemies. They're not actually like out to get me. That's what real life is. We're not actual like heroes in some sort of like mythic fairy tale. And, I, and most people Dave, don't perceive themselves that way. I agree with you that for most people, enemy is not the number one relationship that they have, and it's not the number one thing that they're thinking about all the time, but they still have them. Let's go back to something Dave said in the very first thing he said in his very first statement, which is most people are just trying to get through the day. Most people are paying paying their bit, worried about paying their bills, right? You yeah. said that? The first thing I, you, yes, but the first thing I said was that you were too caught up in trying to determine whether or not having an enemy was life-affirming or not. True. And that that that's had nothing true. to do with the topic. So let's that's not forget true. that you should lose points for that. That Keep is going. true. Go ahead. Dave, I, I, Thank you. Accept Dave's correction. Once he got through with the throat clearing about life-affirming, the first thing he said about enemies, most people don't have an enemy because most people are just going through their day. That's, trying- not, why they, that's not because. I didn't say there was a causal relationship. <laughs> I, I, I said that that was part that that most people's lives was not consumed with like uh, other people try out to get them as much as it was like their own internal struggle yes, trying paying to get their the bills. Okay. Like, I'm yes. trying to get to the point paying their bills. That was one example I gave. Think about paying your bills. Okay, there's a, if you have to pay a bill. There is somebody at the other end of the oh, system. Oh, this is crazy. You're not who trying to argue. your enemy? You and really further, Dave, 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 you... Dave, you've had plenty of time to talk. I'm going to make a few points now. Go ahead. Just existing in a system where you have to pay bills, you may not even know that you have an enemy out there. I may not even know who my enemy is. 
but you have an enemy. It's somebody out there who's watching your credit score, who's keeping an eye on you, who's your landlord, who's your boss, who's taking your, figuring out some way to chisel out something on your paycheck. It's somebody in Washington who's making your job a little more dangerous so that there can be a little bit more money for the corporation that runs it. You have an enemy out there, my friend. I don't know who it is. I think it's the system, but you've got one. Believe it. And whether you know it or not, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Because the topic is, most people out there have an enemy or something like that. Uh, okay, let me respond to that, and then we'll wind up. But, but Healy, this is such a huge stretch to say that, like, just because you don't know who they are doesn't mean they're not your enemy. If, the idea of, like, well, first of all, the first thing you said was that, like, paying your bills it still means you have, you might have an enemy. There's, like, external forces at play that you're struggling with. But if I ask— Anyone who's making you pay a bill me, is me, your just, enemy. Me, okay, let me—okay, but seriously, Healy, do you think if I surveyed— if I asked everyone in America, who is your enemy, do you really think a great number of people would say, like, the Department of Water and Power, my insurance company? No. An enemy is someone with a name and a face. It's a human being. It's not a person that you have to write a check to every month. That's a nuisance. That's Or, or larger than a nuisance. That's like a pain in your ass. That's like, that, that's a thing. It's not an enemy. No who one's gonna causes say, you a nuisance and a pain in your ass who is not your enemy? Of course they are, they are out there what plotting you against about? you. Healy, your pet could cause a nuisance and not be your enemy. You know that that's not true. You know that that's a losing argument to say that, like, if you're causing a nuisance or like a or or any sort of like threat in your life, that that auto makes you an enemy. That's crazy. Almost There's, everyone you deal with at some point is going to be a, either an obstruction. To I agree. Your I may progress. have spoken there. Wrap it yeah, up. I think you have a few times in this debate. Um, but uh, seriously, but yeah, like just because you don't know who they are doesn't. That's crazy. Someone's out to get your credit score. I'll, you think people would really be like, yeah, I'll tell you who's my enemy. Transperion, or whatever the company is called that monitors your credit score. It's the folks at TransUnion that are my number one enemy. Can you imagine a movie where the, the guy's main uh, enemy is <laughs> is the company that monitors his credit score? Yes, no. that movie is. It sounds like a pretty good comedy or drama. You know, that's a good movie. Really? Do you think you can a go guy to, realizes that the company like, that monitors his credit score is his enemy? You don't think we can make a pretty funny comedy out of that? Well, I think uh, I think you could I think you and I could make a pretty funny comedy almost out of almost any one sentence story. But I don't think a studio <laughs> would buy it, and I also think that it has to be a comedy because it wouldn't be real. It would be it would have to be some sort of like fanciful, crazy stretch of the imagination where it's like, um, what like why you know. Why is the person at uh, TransUnion? What are the companies called? Experian. I always forget. <laughs> Out to get me. That's ridiculous. That the very fact that it has to be a comedy shows you that that person's not a real enemy. Well, it could also be a scary like psychodrama. He, guys, Healy is doing the posture and body language of a person who knows that he hasn't quite won the debate. Oh, disagree, disagree. <laughs> that was the posture of like, I took a piece of shit and turned it into a pretty darn good debate performance. <laughs> Dave didn't even engage on like any of the, how, how are we not talking about, we basically didn't talk about people and their enemies at all. Yeah, because most, most people don't have one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you were supposed to prove that. I Dave, think the onus is on you. I think you had a tough assignment. I do too. Yeah. Do you have an enemy, Dave? No. No. <laughs> of course not. An enemy? No, not at all. I don't think yeah. so. Why? Do you, think, do you guys not. think I have one? No, I'm asking. D Healy, you don't have one. 
No, I mean, I may have had one for like an hour here and there, but it's not, right. uh, I don't have an ongoing. Because your enemy, like, it has to be ongoing. And even like the Japanese, they were our enemy in World War II, and then now mm. they're good friends. Like, you, you, you don't have bros. an enemy forever. Mm. So it's really, it's kind of a question of how many people right now have an enemy. Uh huh. Sure. How would you describe, would you say that Margaret, your cat, has ever been an enemy of yours? No, I wouldn't use that word, enemy, no. I mean, sometimes when she's waking me, yeah, I mean, I would jokingly <laughs> say you're being my enemy right now or something, but uh-huh. she's not my enemy. <laughs> What's the angriest you've ever been at Margaret? Um, when she wakes you up in the middle of the night or something? I can't think of anything that was, like, really infuriating. Oh, okay. Never mind. She's pretty chill. What is the threshold of being an, an enemy? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's like they have to actively be out to like take you down, undermine you. Yeah, because well, that's actually what, like, they, they don't. You, you can have them as your. I disagree because I think you can have them as your enemy, even if they don't even know don't do that they're your enemy. So uh-huh. for some reason, and now I think we're in host chat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, that to me is almost the distinction. Not almost, but for some reason, that to me is the distinction between like a nemesis and an enemy. Like a nemesis, I feel like, and this may be a sort of recent pop culture thing or something, but like, or Twitter phenomenon, maybe I'm wrong, but a nemesis is someone who you almost like don't have a real relationship with, but their success drives you crazy or something, and you feel like you're in a battle with them, even though you may not even talk to them. Like, that was, like, Roxanne Gay and Tyler Perry, that was, is the is the model that comes to mind. When Wait, Roxanne what? Gay was like, he... <laughs> Roxanne Gay? <laughs> Tyler, there's no way Tyler Perry gives, thinks about Roxanne Gay for half a second. Exactly. And that's what makes... <laughs> that's, not that's, fair, what makes that's not a fair enemy relationship. No, it's not. It's a nemesis relationship. Yeah, That's it's what not I'm a fair about. nemesis relationship either. Well, Roxanne Gay for, has talked about her nemeses on Twitter, and in particular one nemesis. And I think recently, I could be wrong about this, but I think I have this correct, that she recently revealed that one of her nemeses, or her main nemesis, I'm not sure, was Tyler Perry. Her main nemesis <laughs> is Tyler Perry? Okay, my main nemesis is LeBron James. <laughs> that's not fair. Well, that's ridiculous, but I mean, <laughs> you, you don't do the same thing that he does. I know that they We're don't really We're uh, both entertainers. Okay. Well, th- I, there's a world in which LeBron James' success drives you crazy. I don't know what to tell you. But, <laughs> I just think I wouldn't acknowledge it's is- funny that Roxanne Gay has Tyler Perry as her nemesis. He's made, like, tons and tons of movies. She's written, I don't know, a couple books. I'm just telling you what actually happened. I'm not, like, (laughs) defending it, but I do think that there's truth to the fact that, as you said, like, Tyler Perry has no, there's no, like, it's it's almost unidirectional, right? Like, we don't know what Tyler Perry even thinks about Roxanne Gay. But Roxanne Gay... He's too busy changing media. He's one of the most transformative media figures the last 50 years. Okay, well, let's first of all, let's not like (laughs) let's not undersell how much Roxanne Gay has contributed to the cultural landscape and also to like social causes and. Okay, sure, but her audience is is like what a hundred thousand people that read books and go on Twitter. Yeah, yes, but it's very possible that in the long run, Roxanne Gay will have like a larger footprint on. Culture, if you will, than Tyler Look, maybe, Perry. Maybe this is a great lesson, and you should have a really aspirational nemesis. Yeah. Maybe, we, maybe I should take 
that lesson from Roxanne oh, Gay. Here, here, let's distill it to this, Healy. Okay. Is it? What's that? I said, okay, <laughs> I'm ready to distill. Uh, <laughs> distill to away. Distill. Yeah. Is it? Here's the question: Is it? Is it less crazy or less? I don't know. Is it more accurate? Let's put it this way: Is it more accurate for Roxanne Gay to say that Tyler Perry is Tyler Perry is her nemesis than it is to say that he's her enemy? And I think it is. And I think that's the, a distinction between nemesis and enemy. Well, it depends whether what she, what their relationship is is sort of like professional jealousy, and he's taking opportunities that I think I should have, or he's like hurting me and my loved ones or something, right? It is, mm-hmm. that's one factor, and then, right, and then the other, I guess that, like, the the two-directionness two of it is baked into, is he hurting me and my family or something? Like, right. How much is he aware of me? How much does he think about me? Well, wait, what, I don't know if that that matters for a nemesis. I don't think his perception of her matters. Exactly. Yeah, okay. That's why they're, but in enemy, can someone be your enemy without caring what they think about you? I don't think they can. I don't think like Lex Luthor, like. Yeah, sure, sure. We, like, would, we wouldn't so. call him as, okay, all right. Don't you think? Because couldn't like Donald Trump be your, be one of your enemies, even though he doesn't know you or think about you? Oh, I was, see, no, wait, we disagree. I don't think mm. he can. Okay. I think it would be like. I, I don't know. This is we're just talking about this too much. Well, Medina, if, do you have any thoughts on this? Maybe, maybe we're getting somewhere interesting. What what if you lived well, in a pretty big city and the mayor was going to destroy your favorite park? The mayor doesn't know you, but you consider him your enemy. He suddenly becomes your enemy. Because <sighs> yeah. he's going to hurt you really bad and and something about it doesn't feel right to me, but I get I, well, I can maybe the it. distinction is that <clears throat> When the the mayor is destroying your favorite park, so he's doing something that actually harms you, right? Right. Or your perceived, like, you know, world. But the nemesis relationship is more like whatever they do that has nothing to do with you, like Tyler Perry's success, uh, that's somehow just the idea of it is harming me and and it's incidental to my actual life right but there i am feeling it it, it riles me up or something another version is an enemy is someone who really actually has to be stopped for your uh for your goals to like yeah uh, succeed right a nemesis is someone who just you'd prefer to like have out of the picture or to like is, it, is there sort face. of like uh, is necessary for your enemy to be like one of your number one projects? Like mm. you can't really have an enemy mm. if you're not pretty engaged in conflict with that enemy, don't you think? Mm-hmm. It ha- certainly helps if they're on your like to do list every day. Is like take steps <laughs> to take down my enemy. Otherwise, uh, if you spend ninety nine percent of your time and energy not thinking about your enemy, then they're not your enemy, right? Or you don't have an enemy. Mm, I think that's probably right. Yeah, I, I think feel very good. lucky to not have to think about enemies very often. Yeah, it. But the flip side is, it freaks me out that there are people who are thinking about enemies a lot. It comes up in political discourse, and I, I just, I, it sounds like a catchphrase of the radical right. I don't know. Right. Well, maybe that's buried in the. the fact that enemy has to get you to action because if you have an enemy you need to get into action right (laughs) so it's probably a good way for a politician to start a pitch Mm. the most like realistic version of a sort of 
I don't know what you'd call it, working man's enemy or something, is someone at work, like uh-huh. a boss or someone who you're in competition with for a promotion. Right. But even then, I feel like people would say like, yeah, oh, uh, whatever, like, you know, Jake, yeah, he's my enemy at work. He's my work uh, enemy. You know, he's my work enemy or yeah. something. <laughs> it's, I don't know. <sighs> well, I've enjoyed this conversation. So yeah. Uh, do we do, do um, we need another topic? I think what? we might want to just debate now, because that was cool, and um, I'm ready for something else. Um, Healy, I'm going to have you take the pro again. Okay. I think this is truly <laughs> a life affirming topic. Okay. Um, and that topic is, if you're ready, I think somewhat relate. It's like we're in the same ballpark here. Okay. Um, that topic is cool dudes do therapy. I'm Steve Healy. I'm taking the pro. Yeah, cool dudes do therapy. Therapy's become accepted as a thing that is very valuable for men to unburden themselves. Uh, I mean, it's important to women too, but we, we're calling it cool dudes. Cool dudes take care of themselves. Cool dudes take care of their mental health. They make sure they're not getting themselves stuck in uh, mental loops. They check in with somebody who can help them with that. They have that self-assurance and that self-confidence that leads them to seek the coaching they need when they need it. Uh, They may not do it all the time. It may have another name for them. It may come in an alternate form, but cool dudes do therapy. I have to Two sort of main arguments here, I think. One is that everyone should do therapy, but cool dudes don't do therapy. Um, Which is to say that, like, cool dudes are generally not the type of people who, like, who go to a therapist. Uh, Also, I would say, also in this bucket of argument is that, like, most people don't do therapy. So generally speaking, cool dudes do therapy. But my second and maybe more seductive argument, I'm hoping, is that there's something about the nature of what it is to be cool that makes you less reliant on things like therapy. When I think of what it is to be a cool dude, part of what I envision is someone is someone who is kind of like a once-born soul, if you will, or someone who has an who passes through life with a certain ease, who is comfortable in their skin. And those people, I think, are less likely to, I don't want to say need therapy, but use therapy, go to therapy. They're less likely to have, you know, existential dread. They're less likely to have um, the type of sort of like familial uh, tumult or distraught relationships that might require working out in therapy. But I think when you picture a cool dude, I don't picture someone who goes once a week to talk about, like, um, why they're not sure that they've chosen the right profession in life or something, or a great question that they're grappling with. I picture someone who passes through life without asking, without like being tormented by the questions that someone in therapy is tormented by. 
That's the end of my opening. A too. fascinating and beautiful and, portrait of cool. I love that off. you took the time to articulate what a cool guy is to you. Can we get down to some brass tacks? Can you name a few? Let's do it. Like, obviously, we may not know their inner lives, but famous people who we think are people you know who seem cool to you, and then we can really settle into this debate. Well, let's see. I guess who are cool dudes? Um, my first instinct is to say that, like, the cool dude is more of an archetype than an actual person. Okay, okay, um, okay. But who, who are cool dudes? I don't know. You know what? I'll let you name the cool. Uh, who okay. do you think of this cool Well, dude? I think that you kind of just lost the debate because, yeah, you described an archetype of an amazing cool dude. A guy who's self-assured, self-confident. Whatever traumas he's had, he's processed. He's comfortable in his own skin, was a phrase you used. He doesn't have a lot of tumult. Oh, and, Paul McCartney. Uh, okay, great. The, Who the, I don't think of as, like, I, I don't particularly like uh-huh. as a sort of character sure. in human history. Fine. He works. But I think for... Okay, great. I'd be shocked if Paul McCartney has had, has never done therapy or doesn't consider therapy to be a cool... I mean, I, I was just today reading an article about Paul McCartney just randomly looking up uh, the British philosopher Bertrand Russell and going to visit him because he was the kind of guy who wanted to, to engage, uh, to discuss his preconceptions, to get some feedback. I mean, that, that basically was a visit to a therapist. He was just Paul McCartney, so he could call the world's best philosopher. But what you're describing, Dave, is... There's such an enormous difference between philosophy and therapy. I don't think okay, that's fine, fair whatever. at all. But he, he was calling up a guy who he thought would be a uh, well-informed, calm, knowledgeable uh, person off whom he could discuss some things that were troubling him, right? A sort of therapist. Uh, well, are I'm you saying, sure that he I'm was discussing that, things that were troubling him? I don't or need just to prove that, that this particular incident was therapy. I'm just saying that I'm showing, you, evidence. I'm showing you that just today I read an anecdote about Paul McCartney seeking out something very much like therapy. I think it's highly likely that Paul McCartney has gone to therapy. I don't know, but I think it's possible. And cool dudes like Paul McCartney do stuff like this, including going to therapy. And part of the reason why they project all these qualities that you talked about, Dave, is because they've dealt with and addressed their their traumas, their their existential. You're talking about guys. You, you basically listed off the things you go to therapy to get, and that's why cool dudes go to therapy because they have this air. But that's not what, um, uh, at least like John Lennon's impression of Paul was. If we're going to drill down on Paul McCartney, like John Lennon impre- did go to therapy. Yes. Does that help or hurt your case? Um, I, I think, think he was a fairly cool dude. Because- uh, I think he was cool in more the sense of like um, a sort of like cultural way and not a sort of uh, what do you call it like temperament way. And I think the fact that I chose Paul and not John is good for my case. Because the thing that tormented John about Paul was that he had this sort of like, is that he didn't have trauma that he seemed to need to deal with, that he could wake up and have yesterday in his head, that he could like just write a song without having to work on it, that he seemed to like not be bothered by the pressures that bothered everyone else. It wasn't that he had dealt with his issues already. It was that like he seemed to not have to even need to deal with his issues to pass through life in a peaceful way. And that's what it is to be cool. 
This is in interesting because it seems like you're imagining John doing the same thing you just did, which is like imagine a, an amazing archetype. But then as we examine that archetype, they probably got that way from something therapeutic, from seeking that out. That That is the kind well, of cool dudes go to therapy. Uh, interestingly, I believe that like the closest that Paul would say, like, if Paul did go to therapy, I bet he would say that he did it by writing songs. And I said, <laughs> okay. Why are you laughing? Because, sure, but maybe he also went to therapy. Maybe. But I think that, like, his way of processing whatever was, like, not by sitting down with a therapist and, like, talking about these things in a traditional format. I don't think that's what cool dudes do. They don't go to therapy. And there's a reason, I mean, look, there's a reason that Tony Soprano didn't want to go to therapy. That it was like, how the fuck am I doing this? It's because cool dudes don't go to therapy. Yeah, but he now, that's, did. That's, <laughs> also, you could he, argue that he's not a cool dude. He was an extreme hothead and uh, dressed kind of ridiculously. I mean, Okay, well, either argument works in my favor. He wasn't a cool dude and he went to therapy, or he was a cool <laughs> no. dude. And the, the reason that it was, and the, and <laughs> wait, the wait, fact I just want to stop you because that doesn't mean that either argument works in your favor. Either he was a cool dude and he went to therapy, or he was an uncool dude and he went to therapy also. That doesn't, that yeah, just, they don't that make, just means it helps my argument. Healy, you don't make TV shows about things that are, uh, this, about things that are like standard issue. You wouldn't make a TV, like, that. the reason that the show was as captivating uh, as it was, disagree. was in part because it well, was... The reason, the reason the show was, was captivating is because the idea of a mobster going to therapy was interesting, and it was incredibly yes, exactly. well-acted and well-composed yes. and well-written yes. and well-made. Well, of course, but there was... In, a, <laughs> it's not because it proves the point that cool dudes don't go to therapy, because it no, raises the amazing idea of a cool dude going to therapy. No, it was like, this is a thing that happens. People go to therapy. Wouldn't it be interesting if a mobster went to therapy? Yes, it is. His coolness question, or not coolness is irrelevant. It either said, it's not irrelevant at all. Either he wasn't a cool dude who, and he went to therapy, which is fine with me, or... Fine with you, but also doesn't matter for the topic, because uncool correct, dudes also go to therapy. Correct. Or it answers the question, what happens when a cool dude goes to therapy? No, it doesn't answer that question. It shows you how fascinating is this particular guy going to therapy. If they wanted to show well, what, what yes, if they wanted to tell the story of a, what does a cool dude do in therapy, they would have they would have had Keanu Reeves or something, and it would have been they would have made him to be a cool dude like the archetype you're talking about. I got, by the way, I contradicted everything you said. Tony Soprano had huge existential dread. He was kind of comfortable in his own skin, but he yeah, also I was full of turmoil, turmoil and distraught, as you said. No, I and trauma. As I, I, I'm with you that I lean towards he wasn't a cool dude, but I okay. think there's multiple definitions of cool, and like a huge part of the conflict built into the show was Tony Soprano keeping from his cool friends that he went to therapy. Because again, cool uh, therapy. you know, again, I have to stop you because first of all, pause there. His cool friends, we're supposed to think like Silvio Dante and Folly Walnuts are cool. No, he, Tony, has an issue that he doesn't want these guys to know he goes to therapy because he's a mob boss. Cool Cool is not part of this. Um, okay. Let's wrap I, this again, up. You know what? I think we should wrap this up. I think we've had some interesting... I mean, we don't have to if you want to keep going, but I... No, I'm fine. Okay, good. I think that I... I asked Dave to describe a guy. He just a cool guy. He described the kind of guy who has had successful therapy. I think that makes the strongest case that cool dudes go to therapy. Dave, closing statement. Uh, I think my dad is cool, and I don't think he's ever gone to therapy. 
doesn't say all dudes, all cool dudes go to therapy. No, you're just asking for like examples. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's my closing statement. Mm. I was troubled by the amount of conjecture in this debate. <laughs> <laughs> evergreen statement by the way <laughs> but yeah I hear you <laughs> Mostly this podcast the- could be called the most extreme amounts of conjecture you can summon <laughs> the conjecturist the conjecture guys <laughs> the conjecture hour just about the Paul McCartney stuff but okay so what I kept thinking was <laughs> Is is the relationship between Healy's confidence in a debate inversely proportional to the length of his opening statement? <laughs> because I think often, like, Healy will give a soaring opening statement about a debate that's difficult to approve. <laughs> and, and, and in a debate like this, he lays out a few facts and then hands it over to Dave to <laughs> see what, what he'll do with it. So, and I think... I just, I couldn't really get there with Paul McCartney, I guess. <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> what a weird pick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who would you have picked? I don't know. But, I, I, well, Steve McQueen? Keanu yeah. Reeves? I don't know. I don't Keanu even know what Reeves Steve McQueen looks is, like. It's, Keanu Reeves is, that's a, that's interesting. I just don't particularly, like, enjoy him. So yeah, I, yeah. That's I fine. Think that's a, you don't have yeah. to. He doesn't care. Cool. I'll tell you who else I was thinking was like Steve Carell or Will Ferrell. As cool Artem dudes? Yes. Mm-hmm. I know that they're not like the cool kids in high school, but they strike me as like mm, just like above it all a little bit. He, uh, not in a superior way, but just in a sort of like unbothered by uh-huh. the things that bother most of us. Mm. I should be wrong. Mm. Well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, for better or worse. <laughs> there it is. Interesting. A thoughtful and and provocative hour with the half hour with the uh, the boys of the great debates. <laughs> I feel like this was a really dense episode, but I'm, uh-huh. I'm not, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong, and it was like as light as cotton candy. <laughs> I can't, I think listening to it later is going to be instructive. Hey I think guys, be- listeners, let us know how you think. We can't get enough feedback. The easiest mm-hmm. way is on Twitter, but we have an email as well, uh, which we'll get to every I don't know ten days or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. On the great bits. I need somebody, Help. not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. The Great Debates is produced by Mark Caracello. The theme song was composed by Christopher Knight. The debaters are Steve Healy and Dave King, and the podcast is moderated by Dan Ledeen.